Well, you might like to have your Bible open in 2 Kings 4 as we look at these two little accounts that are brought to our attention here in this section of God's Word. I want to just try and provoke you to see certain truths and principles about God and his dealings with his people. I hope to stir up some thoughts within you that you'll take away and think about and uh, think through for yourself. Now you, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are now one of the Lord's people. And being in Christ means that you are on God's side and God is on your side. And you have the assurance, the, the assurance that God is with you. You have the assurance that God has a very keen interest in you because you are his child. Those of you who are familiar with the Gospels will, I think, be able to see that there are some quite strong similarities in how Elisha is used by God to care for his Old Testament people and how Jesus cared for people in his earthly ministry. The Bible using the lesser things of the Old Testament to point forward to the greater things that would come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's consider some lessons that we can learn from these two little accounts. Amazing miracles that occurred under Elisha's ministry. The first thing I want to point out, something that Dale Ralph Davis says in his commentary on uh, Two Kings. He talks about the fact that God really is interested in the nuts and bolts of life. The nuts and bolts of life, the basic things that we're in need of. And as you read through the Bible, you discover that the provision of food features large in the Bible. There was the manna in the wilderness, the stories such as this. And some of you probably from the second account that we'll come on to shortly are already thinking of an event in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And he himself used bread uh, as an analogy for spiritual issues that man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and that Jesus himself is the bread of life that we need to take and eat. This idea of food and the provision of it features large in the Bible. Now, you know, for us in the UK, the provision of food isn't really an issue. It was interesting, we were talking before, um, chatting with Mircher and, uh, and some of the others this afternoon, and they were talking about traditionally the kind of preparations that people will make at the end of the summer in Romania to prepare for their needs through the winter. Uh, preparing uh, food, bottling it, canning it, making jam preparing vegetables so that they will be able to sustain themselves throughout the winter months. Now, for us in the UK, the provision of food for most people is not something that we really think about very much. We're flooded with the stuff. We throw out thousands of tons of it every year. We've never had so much, so much choice, so much quantity, and so many ways and places to obtain food. But we're in the minority. You know, 
for most in the world, it's about subsistence living. Where what you eat today is the only food you have. And most of your time and energy today will be spent gathering what you will eat tomorrow. There are millions upon millions of people in the world who live that way. And for, men, for many, desperate, hard famine is only a few months away if there's no rainfall. Starvation is a constant threat. For many people, the provision of daily food is a huge issue that we simply don't even think about in the West today. Never crosses our mind. We can always just pop down the shops. It's always there. But in Bible times, it often wasn't like that. We often get stats about what are the biggest killers and the biggest causes of death in the UK. Starvation never features on the list. That's not the case in other countries. For countless millions around the globe, it's in the top two or three causes of death. Starvation. So if you live like that, the provision of food is a huge deal. That's why the Bible talks about it so much. And for God to step in and provide food shows that he knows and he understands our most basic fears and needs. It perhaps doesn't hit us the way it should. When we read of these occasions when God provides food for his people. Because we've actually really never been there. But you see, God is intimately concerned in the nuts and bolts of life. He really is. Now for you, tomorrow morning may be holding any number and manner of fears and cares and anxieties. Food on your table probably isn't one of them. But perhaps there are many other things that are crowding in. The lesson we learn in these passages is that for those who are the Lord's people, the Lord stands ready to provide. Because he's intimately concerned with your needs. The nuts and bolts of life are a concern to the Lord for you. Having said that, we do need to note something else from this passage, don't we? These sons of the prophets are part of that little remnant in Israel who have remained true to the Lord their God. They have not got themselves caught up in all this idolatry that largely has taken hold of the nation of Israel. They've remained free from that. And they are those who are seeking after the Lord, seeking after his word. Where it says that the sons of the prophets were sitting before Elisha in verse 38. That signifies those who have been sat under him as their teacher. One who is teaching them the things of God. 
So that, that is there. But these people have not been made exempt from the famine that's in Israel. Now, famine in the Old Testament in the land of Israel usually is a sign of God's anger and displeasure against the nation of Israel. And it usually is something that has come from God as a judgment against the nation. We need to remember that the nation of Israel is unique as a nation because Israel is an entire nation in covenant with God. And that's unique. Now, we, we are in covenant with God as the Lord's people. That new covenant that Christ has established through his blood, as we read of in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 11. But we're not a nation, not an earthly nation, not a geographical political nation. But Israel were unique in that sense. They were an entire political geographical nation in covenant with the living God. God had made them to be his nation and put them into that covenant. But when as a nation they broke the terms of that covenant, which was simply to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. When they broke that covenant, it was to break their relationship with God. It was spiritually as they went into idolatrous worship with other false gods, that was spiritually to commit adultery against God. That was to be unfaithful to him, as a husband or wife might be unfaithful against their partner. And as a result of that, God often brought both his, in one, th in one sense it's both of these things, it's his righteous anger against Israel but it's also loving and corrective discipline against Israel in the hope that they will come back to himself and that they will return. And the message of many of the prophets is to point out the sins of the nation and to cry out, return to the Lord and know his forgiveness. Famine was one of the things that God often brought into, into Israel and often it was a clear sign of his judgment against them. But those who've remained faithful to the Lord, they are not spared from the famine. It hits them as well. And so whilst on the one hand we see so clearly that the Lord is able to provide for his people, we also see that it doesn't mean that his people are going to be given an easy ride in the world. Very often the evils that fall upon the whole world will hit Christians just as much as they will anybody else. When Mircea was talking this morning about those hurricane winds that swept through the Caribbean a month ago, the houses of the Christians weren't left standing. They were flattened as readily as anyone else's. When floodwaters sweep through a country or a part of a country, the water doesn't miraculously part and not touch the church buildings or the homes where Christians live. They're devastated by the floods as much as anybody else. But in those situations, we have this promise and this certainty that even there and even then, in the midst of such devastation, the Lord will sustain and provide for his people. 
And many people can give testimony of these great truths. These sons of the prophets were not spared the famine. They were feeling the full effects of it. God did not supply a never-ending pot of stew. But he was going to provide stew for today. He will keep them through the famine. Now there has been a lady who we've already seen and the oil kept pouring and the oil kept pouring and the oil kept pouring until all the vessels were full. This is just a single pot of stew. It's not the same miracle. But God nevertheless is providing for his people. He loves his people. He knows his people and he provides for them. But that doesn't mean that they don't go through the hard times. For us today, if we are in Christ, we are those who are in covenant relationship with God through Christ. And we're not spared any of the hardships that come along with living in a wicked and godless world. Yet we have this assurance that the Lord will keep us. And often this will mean that he will continue to supply the nuts and bolts of life. You might not get any of the luxuries, you might not get any of the extravagances, but he will keep you. He will provide for you. He will supply your need. But we do remember that the kingdom that we are part of is not of this world. So his provision doesn't mean that his people will never suffer. His provision doesn't mean that his people will never see death. But his provision is always going to be sufficient to keep us in Christ. And it will always ensure that those eternal blessings that we have been promised can never be removed from his people. And even if it means the hardships are such that it even means your life, your physical life is lost, still you will know the provision of God. And you will know all those eternal blessings that have been promised you in Christ Jesus. And you will go on to know his marvellous provision for all of eternity. Remember the wonderful things that are brought to our attention by the, the Apostle John in that vision that Christ gave him of that glorious city with that water running through it that there will be no need for the, the sun in the sky because Christ himself will be our light and our life. Everything that we're in need of will be in abundant supply forever in his marvellous kingdom, a place so wonderful and so glorious that there will never ever again be a tear shed over any sorrow, over any pain, over any suffering, over any upset, over any disappointment. All of those things will be in the past. Now that is provision for his people. And even though it might be that our earthly existence is brought to a close. Well, look what we're moving on to. I spoke before about moving from the lesser to the greater. Let me tell you, when a Christian dies, they move on from the lesser to the greater. Why will we be rejoicing tomorrow afternoon? 
at Stephen Hughes' funeral because we know he has moved on from the lesser to the greater. What abundant, abundant supply Stephen is now enjoying and knowing in God his Saviour. As Christ keeps us faithful through suffering, our eternal reward is only becoming greater. Another thing we learn in this first section, this first story about this stew that is being cooked, is provision by means of protection. Now, God didn't supply the pot of stew. The men produced that themselves. They've made, now we would call this in Liverpool, a pot of blind scouse. Some of you don't know what that means. Scouse is like stew, but years ago, if you were very poor in Liverpool, and many people were very poor in Liverpool, you couldn't afford meat to put in the stew. So it only consisted of vegetables, in which case it was called blind scouse. That's what they've made, because that's all they've got. There's no meat. It's just vegetables. And someone, thinking he's been really helpful and with the very best of intentions, has gone out in the midst of this famine. There's not an awful lot to be found. And he's stumbled across this wild vine, whatever particular plant that was. And he's found this fruit on the vine. He's thought, ah, food. And he's gathered it up and it's been sliced and it's been placed in the pot. Not realising that he's laced the stew with poison. Now... What was it that happened to these men as they ate the stew that they realised there is death in the pot? Well, we're not told the detail, but as soon as they start to eat the stuff, they can realise there's something very wrong. But God will nullify the poison and make that stew edible. Now, in some occasions, he actually provides the food. Here, he hasn't provided the food. They've provided that for themselves but he's going to provide for them by means of protection. And that which would do them harm is not going to do them harm. And that which would perhaps kill them is not going to have any effect upon them. He's going to keep them safe. And they're going to be able to eat this stuff and it will do them good where it would have done them harm. They have food, but it will kill them if they eat it. So God permits them to continue eating and it will have no ill effect on them whatsoever. Provision by means of protection. Now, let's not get a food chemist in to try and work out what might have happened here in order to render the stew safe. It certainly wasn't the mere addition of flour. This was God providing for his people by rendering safe that which was harmful. Protection leading to provision. I wonder, how many times might God have already done that for you and for me? How many times has God intervened and kept you from catastrophe or injury or death? How many Christians have been driving their cars and had a close shave with a 40-ton truck? Or walked unscathed? from a crash which ought to have killed them. Do you remember a little while ago, uh, Roy sharing about that potential accident at work, something fell 
and missed his head by inches, probably would have killed him if it had hit him. Provision by means of protection. How many of you have had plans delayed or changed at the last minute? And who knows what those changes were protecting you from? Do you know people who've been brought from the brink of death when the doctors have given up all hope of saving them? Provision by means of God's protection. Christians who've won the court case that everyone said they would lose. Christians who've kept their job when everyone around them was being made redundant. How often has God protected us from our own frailties when we would just want to give up and throw in the towel? Lord, it's just too much for me. I simply cannot go on. And he protects us from our own, from our own frailties by providing more grace when we need it and increasing our faith. Provision by means of protection. Has God not kept you and provided for you? Have you not known his protection? Will he not continue to do so? If you are his child? It's a wonderful thing to be a child of God, you know. Fourth thing. Signs for remembering. In an earlier story, salt was placed into a spring of water that was producing bad water. And thereafter, the water forever produced, the spring forever produced good water. So we can't really put that action down, that reaction down to the salt. The salt was simply a sign for remembering. Here, flour is placed into the stew. It's a sign for remembering. I found this little phrase in uh, Dale Ralph Davis. Listen to this. Signs are pegs on which to hang the memory of God's works. You see, the salt, the flour, it creates a narrative that's memorable. So that we can remember God's work. Did, did you hear the one about the, about the pot full of stew that was poisonous? And, and all Elisha did was throw in the flour. And they could eat it and it didn't do them any harm. It creates a narrative that's memorable. But what is it that we're remembering? It's not actually the flour. God did this. Do you remember what God did? Do you remember that spring of water that was producing... Horrible, well, everyone that drank it was getting ill all the time. Do you remember? They just put salt in. And ever since, it's been good water. Do you remember? We're not remembering the salt. We're remembering that's the work of God. He did it. And it creates a narrative to help us remember the wonderful works of God. And in remembering the narrative, the stretching out of God's almighty hand is remembered. And God is worshipped and praised. Now, this features much in the Old Testament. 
remember the works of God's hand and recall all that God has done again and again. Remember how God brought us out of Egypt. Remember the things that God did in the land that that made Pharaoh let us go. Remember how God brought us across the Red Sea. Remember how God brought us across the River Jordan. Remember, 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 remember. What are we remembering? The almighty hand of God at work. So that he is praised. And our faith is strengthened. The signs in themselves are not the issue. It's they are a means of remembering what it is that God has done. What wonderful things God has done for his people. What wonderful things God will continue to do for his people. Well, let's move on to the the second story in this little section uh, from verse 42. And let's consider one man's faithful offering. He's an unnamed man. We've no idea who he is. We know where he came from in verse 42. That's as much as we know about him. And he's bringing his offering. We know it's an offering because it's referred to as the bread of the first fruits. Here's a man in the midst of this famine who's, who's had actually some provision. And even though there's a famine in the land, um, he's not keeping it all to himself. He's, he's ready to come and bring out of that which God has blessed him and bring an offering. And where does he bring it? Well, he brings it uh, to the Lord's people, to the sons of the prophets. And his obedience to the Lord is going to be a source of great blessing to many. Now this is true in the church. Here is one man being faithful and bringing his offering. A rich, rich blessing to others. If you're faithful in your place as a member in a local church, using the gift God's given you for the edification of others, faithfully attending and serving amongst the body of Christ. God will use you as a source of blessing to others. You see, you giving yourself to these things is not just about you. Many church members, and I'm talking generally here, I'm not just talking about Belvedere Road Church, I'm talking generally Many, many church members fail to see or consider this important point. Your obedience to Christ is not just about you. It has an impact on everyone else in the church. Your serving Christ is not just about you. It has an impact on everyone else in the church. Now, some people decide that they have reasons or excuses not to be the active member of the body of Christ that God has called them to be. Because everyone who is a Christian has been called by God to be an active member of the body of Christ. The the teaching of the Apostle Paul is absolutely clear on that. But some people decide that they're not going to be. And they make those decisions thinking that it's just about them. But it isn't. And so some decide that they will forsake the gathering together with the church. Some will decide, well... Being a a bit erratic in my attendance on a Sunday, well, that's just an issue about me. If I decide that I'm not going to go to the prayer meeting, that's just an issue about me. Uh, 
And perhaps it shows itself in other ways as well. It never crosses their mind, for example, to go and visit those who are housebound in the church. The point in all of these things is that they never once pause to consider the negative impact that they're having on the body of Christ. They never pause to consider that. It's all about themselves and their situation and their circumstances and that's the only thing they ever think about. If this unnamed man had not been faithful in giving his gift, the Lord's people would have gone hungry. But he did bring his gift. He was faithful. He did do that which the Lord had laid upon him as one of his people. And what rich blessing his actions brought to the wider people of God. And that's the important issue to see in what this man did. We have no idea who he is. But his faithfulness brought rich blessing to the people of God. There's a lesson there for all of us to take on board who would call ourselves members of the church, one of the Lord's people, that the things that I do will have an impact on the church. One way or another, the things that I do will have an impact on the church. The decisions I make will have an impact on the church. The example I set will have an impact on the church. We need to take that seriously and think it through. And I thank God for the many people who've been faithful examples to me over many, many years. I thank God for the many people who've done me spiritually good because they have been faithful. Some of them probably will never realise just how much I owe them simply because they were faithful. You be that for someone else. Thank God that many of you are. Many of you are does my heart good to know that and then finally we see God's bountiful multiplication the people will eat with food left over now you cannot surely read this passage and not think about Christ feeding thousands of course there's two occasions when that's recorded on one occasion he, he's said to have fed 5,000 and on another occasion he's said to have fed 4,000 of course, on those occasions, uh, we're told the details, and uh, Christ had fewer loaves. And when the Bible talks about loaves, don't think a big loaf of bread like this. They were more like bread, bread rolls, we will probably call them today. They weren't big loaves of bread. And where here, in this passage, where 20 loaves feed 100, with Christ, five loaves would feed thousands Two things to point out here. From this man's offering, they receive food for today because he's brought fresh bread and they can eat it. And from this man's offering, they have food for tomorrow because he's brought ripened grain and they've got food for tomorrow and maybe a few more days. And what a glorious picture of the bountiful provision of God. How kind and good God is. And how mighty he is in order to display his goodness. He promises food for today. 
and we can rest assured that he'll provide food for tomorrow. We've all known his provisions today in so many ways. And we, can, we have full assurance that he'll provide for us tomorrow. Bearing in mind the things I've already said. What multiplication of blessings God has been able to bring through this one man's act of simple, faithful worship and service to God. What an encouragement that it should be to us all. Not only in faithful anticipation of God's supply, but in our being faithful in our spiritual duties. Now you might be someone who finds yourself thinking, but this is all I have. I have so little to give. Well, that's what the disciples said about that boy's lunch. But Lord, we've only got this. And look at the size of the problem. And you might f- find yourself thinking, well, yeah, but, but it's, it's so much. The, the, the need out there is so big. It's so enormous. And I've only got this. But you can give what you've only got and the Lord can multiply it. And he can use it in ways that we could never begin to even imagine. Because he's God. And that's what he does. But he relies on his people bringing the little that they have. But he'll take that little and he'll use it to his glory. And sometimes he'll take that little and multiply it in ways that you can never begin to understand. Never even imagine. God does that kind of thing. Some of you might be thinking, but the part that I can play in the church and in its life, it seems so small. The contribution that I can make, it seems so insignificant. Well, in one sense, from a worldly perspective, that may be true. But to say that is to forget God. To say that is to take God out of the picture. To say that is to forget that God is able to multiply it and to bring blessing from it and through it. If you will but be faithful, even if God has only given you a little, but if you will faithfully use that little for him, and for the service of his people. Look, at the, look into the scriptures and see what God can do. And as we look into this final story in 2 Kings chapter 4. Our minds surely are transported forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. To what Christ would do. With just five loaves and a few fish. How marvellous and wonderful is he who would follow on after men like Elisha. How much more glorious is the Lord Jesus Christ. These men of the Old Testament who we look on with such fondness and rightly so. That the way they served the Lord and the way God used them. What tremendous examples they are, but how they just fade into insignificance when we look upon Christ and remember him in all his splendour 
and in all his glory, in all his wonder. How vast is his love and his compassion and his power as we see him walking through the pages of the New Testament scriptures. Did Jesus not remind us how much more precious are the Lord's people to his Father than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field? But he even feeds and clothes them. Will he not much more care and provide for you? Just as we see demonstrated in these wonderful Old Testament passages. Why are you anxious for tomorrow? Jesus would ask. I'm going to be there with you. I'll be with you all through the night hours while you're fast asleep. I'll be with you. From the moment that you wake. I'll provide you with breakfast. I'll be with you through every moment of the waking day. I'll provide for you. I'll love you. I'll keep you. I'll use you. I'm not promising it'll be easy. There's no promise that we won't struggle. There's no promise that we won't cry. But he'll be there. Keeping. Providing. Protecting. Using. To his glory. The God who can make poison safe to eat. The God who can bring a feast from a few loaves of bread. Is your father in heaven. If you belong to Christ. Has he not been the provider of your daily bread today? And is he not faithful to keep you? Whatever tomorrow may bring.